Well, good morning. It's good to be here this morning. I just want to greet you in Jesus' name. And uh, our congregation greets you. And it's nice to be here. This is our first time ever visiting here. And uh, I know some faces, and there's a lot of you that I don't know. And uh, maybe if you're ever up in northern Minnesota, you can stop by. We'd love to have you and, and uh, spend some time with us. Um, just maybe just to give you a little introduction, like Curtis said, my name's Keith Dean, my wife Heidi. We have seven children, um, Laura, Joshua, who are not here. Laura's married. Joshua is at home taking care of the farm. And uh, Micah, I think he's been here before, and you probably know him. And then uh, Hannah, she's also at home taking care of stuff uh, with the farm. And then Grace and Lydia and Benjamin. They range in age from 21 down to 7, and uh, God has really blessed us abundantly, and we're looking forward to having our first grandchild here in about a month. So that's going to be a new phase for us. Uh, I actually work as an auto mechanic, have a shop at my own home, and uh, we've been doing that for, well, since 2007, and I'll be sharing a lot more about my testimony coming to the Lord and coming into the Mennonite Church. Heidi, neither Heidi or I have a background from the Mennonite Church. We never knew of the Mennonite Church, really, until we were in our 30s, so we invite you to come back for that tonight. But for the message this morning, I would like to share a, a portion of a series that I've been going through back in our home congregation, and uh, it's entitled the, the Mysteries of God, and we touched on that a little bit this morning, talked about it there in, in uh, our Sunday school lesson for the adult Sunday school class, and it, you know, when I go through and have my devotions and when we read scripture and you see this word mystery and and I always, wow, mystery. Well, you know, and I know when I first started this series back in our home congregation, I asked, uh, so how many of you like mysteries? And just about everybody raised their hand. And, you know, there just seems to be something about mysteries that intrigue us as human beings. And so I started looking into this a little bit deeper, and, you know, I found out that the word mystery is really a uniquely kind of a New Testament word. If you type in mystery into a uh, uh, concordance, it won't come up in the Old Testament. And it's actually mentioned 27 times in the New Testament. 22 of them are in the singular, and 5 of them are in the plural form. But the word mystery is not found once in the Old Testament. Now, just to maybe lay a little groundwork, the biblical definition of mystery is a little different than the normal definition. And you know, if mysteries intrigue you, I would just encourage you to go home and look up in your concordance and look up all the different verses that talk about mysteries because there are very, uh, some of them classified into about 7 to 13 different mysteries in the New Testament. But the word mystery, as defined in the biblical context, is a secret or a hidden thing. Now, I'd like to add to that, or we could maybe say a biblical doctrine that was not revealed or practiced or clearly understood in the Old Testament, or at least was not very prominent in the Old Testament. And even in our verse that we read today in Colossians 
It says, even the mystery which hath been hid from the ages and from generations. So it was something that God purposely had hidden. Now the best definition that I have found in the New Testament for the word mystery is in Romans 16.25. If you'd like to open your Bibles to Romans 16.25. And I'll, I'll actually be reading from the New King James Version this morning. I'll read Romans 16, verses 25 and 26. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for the obedience to the faith. So Paul is saying that from the time the world began until the time of Jesus, there's been these writings in the Old Testament that have been hidden and not fully understood. But now... They have been revealed. So, when the scripture is talking about these mysteries that they were hidden, why were they hidden? That was one of the first questions that I had. Why? Why were they hidden? And the only way that I can really answer that is because they were hidden until God deemed the time was right. When the proper time came, God revealed. God in his infinite wisdom waited until the time was right and then he revealed these mysteries. Now we don't really know the exact reasons why God waited, but we know that God is all wise and we just need to trust that God's timing is perfect. And you know, when you think about timing, you know, it was kind of funny. I was, we were driving down here and it's, you know, six hours or whatever to drive down and, and, uh, we were talking in the car, and, and one of my daughters, she kind of said, well, what are, you, what are you going to be sharing this weekend? And I told her about, you know, I'm going to be sharing my testimony and message this morning. And she said, well, she didn't know. She's never really actually heard my testimony. So she was kind of looking forward to this. And, and she, well, she'd hear bits and pieces, you know, but to actually sit down and kind of hear it. Um, and so I started explaining different things to her about all of this and, and uh you know, I, as I was explaining this, I said, now, now think about the timing. Think about the timing of some of these events that happened in my life. And I'm going to say to you, look back over your life. There were things that happened. And if it would have happened too soon, it wouldn't have worked. If it would have happened too late, it wouldn't have worked. But in God's infinite wisdom, in the perfect time, it happened. You know, I kind of use the example of... I was a young man in my 20s and you know I, I wanted to get married but I'd go and ask if a young lady was interested and no they weren't interested and, and then and I'd maybe find out if another young of a young lady that was interested in me but you know I, well it wasn't the right time I wasn't ready God knew that Heidi was going to be my wife and he orchestrated things to wait to cause me to wait until the time was right, until we met. And you know, after Heidi and I got married, 
you know, because I didn't get married until I was 29, so I, I got kind of a late start in having children and all this stuff. That's why I'm up here with so much gray hair and, and uh, in my 50s and still have a seven-year-old boy. But God was waiting until the time was right. And I, I look back and I asked Heidi and, and I said, you know, if we would have met when I was 21 and you were 19, you, you think we would have been ready? Do you think it would have worked? No. Probably would have never ended up together. So because uh, God caused us to wait, we ended up getting married and it's been a very wonderful marriage. And the question about why God's wait, why God waits, can it be applied to many things? Have you ever thought, why did God wait so long to send Jesus? You know, it's it's kind of one of those questions where you go, well, if if people needed to be redeemed, if Jesus needed to die for their sins in order to bring right relationship and bring us back to God, you know, why did why didn't God the Father send Jesus right after Adam and Eve sinned? Why, why didn't he do it right before the flood? You know, and, and we could pick any time in history and, you know, I could start going and saying, well, it's because of this or because of this and, you know, that would just be speculation and theory and I, I can't really say why. All I can say is, God knows. God knows the best time. And it says in Galatians 4 verses 3 through 5, even so we, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. In the fullness of time, God sent his son. Not too early, not too late. When the time was right. So this morning, talking about the mysteries, why did God wait so long to reveal them? I don't exactly know the answer to why he waited so long, but I know that they've been revealed now. Many of them have. Please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19. In this chapter, this is when Paul is talking about the armor of God and putting on the armor of God and urging us as Christians to do that. And then it says in verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 6, And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So I'm going to ask a question. What's the gospel? Well, the definition, and we all know it, it's good news, right? The gospel means, the definition is good news. Good news of what? We all like good news, and you know, if some somebody comes running up to you and says, I've got good news for you, you know, you're, you're not going to go, great, and then walk away. No, you're going to wait. What, what, what's the good news? What, what am I waiting to hear? So when we say the gospel is good news, what is the good news about? Now, I've heard many different answers over the years. You know, some might say, well, we get to go to heaven when we die. And that's part of it. Some can say, well, we have victory over Satan and sin. That's part of it. But the good news of Jesus is best summed up in 1 Corinthians 15, 
I might have you turn in a few different places here this morning. So 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast to that that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, and then by the twelve. So the gospel in this part of scripture is defined as Jesus, the Son of God, coming to earth in the flesh, dying for our sins, buried in the tomb, rising again from the dead, and then seen by the apostles, and says there in First Corinthians, I think 500 at one time. And all of this was done according to the scriptures. And that is the good news that we want to hear, that we benefit from. We can go to heaven when we die. We can have eternal life. We can have full access to our Heavenly Father. We can have victory over sin and death. The gospel is a glorious thing. Now, there's a couple other things I'm just going to mention here. You don't have to turn there. But Jesus also defined the gospel this way. Matthew 4.23 says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. The kingdom of God is part of the gospel. But it could not have happened without the death and resurrection of Jesus. But through his death and resurrection, we are a part of a spiritual kingdom. The gospel also has power. Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So why was the gospel a mystery? Why is something that's so important hidden? Well, I believe a major reason why there are so many things hidden in the Old Testament times and why there are so many mysteries that have been revealed in the New Testament is due to the fact that we have an enemy. Satan or the devil, whatever name we want to put there, he's after our souls. And God had the plan of salvation in mind from the very beginning. But in order to execute that plan, he needed to keep it hidden from men and from the devil until the last minute. And another reason why I think it was hidden or wasn't understood is because, and I mentioned this a little bit in Sunday school, have you ever tried to put yourself back in the mind of a first century Jew? I know it's kind of hard, it's hard when I first start trying to think about it, but you try to put your mind back in the mind of a first century Jew. So you have no New Testament. The Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out yet. You have the Old Testament scriptures. 
You were a first century Jew. You're living under Roman occupation. And you're longing for freedom in the flesh. Because the Jewish nation was a earthly kingdom. The Jewish nation was not necessarily looking for a spiritual kingdom. Their history had always been a natural kingdom here on this earth. And I, you know, and sometimes I even kind of wonder if they even really had a, if all of them had a concept even of a spiritual kingdom. You know, you guys are probably familiar with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So you have these two, I don't want to say Republican and Democrat, but it, it was almost kind of the same type of thing going on back then. You have these two different sides and they're these two different factions. And it says of the Sadducees, in uh, Acts 23, that they didn't believe in the resurrection or angels or spirits. So there was a major part of the Jewish population who didn't even really believe very much in a lot of the whole spiritual realm. So to think of a spiritual kingdom, you know, I think that was kind of foreign to a lot of them. The Pharisees, they may have had a better grasp because they believed in both. But the Sadducees, who were a prominent part of society didn't believe in either. And at the high priest at Jesus' time, he actually was a Sadducee. So, in thinking that way, if you can kind of put yourself in the mind of a first century Jew, have you ever gone to the Old Testament and tried to find a New Testament doctrine just with the Old Testament? Have you ever tried to preach Christ from the Old Testament alone. Would you be able to point out verses that pertain to things like the Incarnation, the Son of God becoming man, if all you had was the Old Testament? There's a few verses. Now, we can look back at them now, and you might think I'm crazy for saying this, but sorry, let me explain. We look back at them now and we go, well, why didn't they see it? Well, there it is right there. There it is right there. Well, it's all over the place. Well, that's because it's been revealed to us. That's because we have the New Testament. That's because we have the teachings of the apostles. That's because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. We see it. They didn't. It was hidden. There's, you know, and there's many different things. You know, I, I don't remember, the, one of the very first times I ever thought of this concept was try to explain the resurrection from the dead from the Old Testament. There's only like a couple of verses in Job that I can even think of. You know, maybe there's more that I'm not thinking of right off the top of my head right now. Well, when I started realizing when, when, when that time in history what they were dealing with and the knowledge they had and that the fact that they didn't have the Holy Spirit indwelling in them, I, I'm actually being a little more lenient to why they missed it. I used to be pretty hard on the first century Jews and thinking, boy, I don't know how they could have been so blind. I understand a little bit better now, but I'm not saying that that means that they got a free pass. I mean, after Jesus rose again from the dead, it was revealed. Then they should have saw it. But a major part of the gospel is the fact that Christ died for our sins. But where can we go to the Old Testament and clearly see that spelled out without having the knowledge of the New Testament to reference? 
I don't know if you've ever tried doing that, but it's actually kind of difficult. It's hard to see it clearly. But thank the Lord that we have the benefit of living in the times that we are. I'd like you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to read the first eight verses. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything except you, not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ, and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord Lord of glory. I'll stop there. So here Paul again, he's writing and mentioning a mystery. It says in verse 7 that we speak of the of God in a mystery. And I believe that he's speaking about the mystery of the gospel because back up in verse 2, he says, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that is a very central part of the gospel. But notice what it says in verse 8. It says that none of the rulers of this age knew For had they known it, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. So the wisdom and the mystery are both referring to the gospel, and it was hidden from the rulers of this age, meaning in the first century. Now, who were these rulers? Well, very likely it meant the earthly rulers who were in charge over Jesus' crucifixion. Pilate, uh, Herod, Caiaphas, the high priest, any others who were in authority at the time, But I also think that it could mean Satan and his demons. Satan is known as the prince of the and power of the air. He's also known as the god of this world. And if the world rulers or Satan and the demons who were behind the world rulers would have known what was going to happen by nailing Jesus to the cross, they never would have done it. See, in the first century, the Jews, they were looking for a messiah. They were looking for a conquering king. But how many of them were looking for a suffering servant? Now Jesus one day will come back. And he will come back as a conquering king. But first, he was a suffering servant. Especially brings us out in Isaiah 53. And God kept that part hidden until after the resurrection. 
Satan didn't understand the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus coming as a suffering servant any better than anyone else did. It was hidden from him as well. The one difference, though, is that Satan and the demons knew who Jesus was, even when others did not. Now, if you think about that, in the spiritual realm, no one needed to tell the angels or the demons who Jesus was. Before he came to this earth, if you can imagine up in the spiritual realm, they didn't, nobody needed to tell them, yep, that's Jesus, the Son of God. And when he came to this earth, the demons still knew him. They recognized him. And I'm going to have you turn to Luke chapter 4, and we're going to look at a few of those times. Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 34. Luke chapter 4, 31. Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have you to do with a, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now go down to Luke chapter 4, verse 40. Notice the demons recognized him, and they were afraid of being destroyed. When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew he was the Christ. Then in Luke chapter 8, you want to turn a few pages there. Luke chapter 8, verse 28. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had often seized him and was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. And he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because, we, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. So they knew him. They knew he, who he was. They knew he could destroy him. They knew he was the conquering king. They knew he was the Messiah. One last one. Matthew 8, 28. Matthew 8, 28 and 29. When he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men, coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? 
So they recognized him, and they knew their end. They knew there, there was torment coming. They knew his position. They actually knew more than a lot of the Jews did around at that time. The Jewish leaders did not want to believe that Jesus was the Son of God, but the demons did, and they knew it. And these verses show that even the demons believed that the Messiah was coming as a conquering king. You don't see anything where it talks about them like, well, we're looking forward to putting you on the cross here in a little while. You know, and as I was kind of studying through this, I, I you know, I, I read a quite a bit of different things, and I actually want to share with you just a short excerpt from an article. Kind of explains it succinctly. No one before Jesus believed that the Messiah was going to come to die before he came to rule the earth. We find no extra biblical commentators who believe that Isaiah 53 referred to the death and resurrection of the Messiah. New Testament scholar George Ladd writes, Judaism before Christ never interpreted Isaiah 53 as referring to the sufferings of the Messiah. New Testament scholar D.A. Carson concurs there does not seem to be an unambiguous pre-Christian source with Judaism within Judaism that defines the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 with the anticipated Messiah. Even critic Bart Ehrman agrees we do not have a single Jewish text prior to the time of Jesus that interprets the passage messianically. And this shouldn't surprise us. Even throughout Jesus' life, the people around him did not understand the purpose of his mission on earth. Even though Jesus explicitly taught about his death and resurrection, and they reference Luke 18, Luke records the disciples understood none of these things, and the meaning of this statement was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. It wasn't until after he rose from the dead that Jesus opened their minds to the scriptures. While the passage about the suffering servant are crystal clear after the cross, they were mysterious before. For one, the suffering servant is anonymous, and he is never explicitly called the Messiah. To readers before the time of Christ, this connection was never made. Now Satan, he is brilliant, like but like unbelieving human interpreters, he would not have understood these predictions before the cross either. We believe that non-Christians can use grammatical historical method to interpret scripture and arrive at the same conclusions as believers, but when it comes to understanding God's plan and mysteries, these are left only for believers. For instance, regarding his own prophecies, Daniel was told, those who have insight will understand. That's Daniel 12.10. And this is why Paul writes, a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. James writes that we need to act on the truths of Scripture to really understand their meaning and value. While there are brilliant people in the world today, God reveals his truth to the humble of heart. For instance, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to babes. And while Satan was certainly more brilliant than any human on earth, he isn't omniscient or omnipresent. Thus he missed what Jesus was planning to do. So there were references 
of the crucifixion, of the suffering servant in the Old Testament, thinking of Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. Psalm 22 talks about the piercing of his hands and feet, being wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities in Isaiah 53. But those verses are not connected with a reference to the Messiah. So it wasn't clear that the Messiah was going to be a suffering servant, meaning that it wasn't clear that Jesus would serve mankind and bring us back into right relationship with the Father by suffering and dying. It wasn't explicitly stated in the Old Testament. It was hidden until the time was right. Satan and his demons missed it and the Jewish leaders missed it. Most of the world missed it as it happened. They didn't recognize it. They didn't know what Jesus was going to do. But after he died and rose again, it was revealed. And because Satan missed it, he could not get in the way of God's plan. And as it says there in 1 Corinthians 2.8, if Satan would have been able to figure this out, he would not have allowed Christ to be crucified. If the Jewish and the Roman leaders would have been able to connect the dots, they wouldn't have cooperated with Satan to have him crucified either. We were talking a little bit this morning about the awesomeness of God, the creation. But here's another example. Jesus kept things hidden for your and my benefit. God the Father had this plan. He had this plan of salvation from the foundation of time almost. You can say it that way. From the time Adam and Eve sinned, he knew there was going to be this plan of redemption. He knew how he was going to do it. And he did it for you. And he did it for me. That's the gospel. And when I think about something like that, that took 4,000 years to unfold, all because he wanted a relationship with you. What a loving father we have. You know, we can look at all of the creation, and, and it's awesome. I love looking through a telescope. You know, there was an eclipse here, what was it, about a month ago? You know, we got the binoculars out, and we were looking at that. That was really neat. You know, the stuff that goes on in the heavens, I, I'm, in, I'm intrigued with. And he just keeps it all going in perfect motion and timing. But like it was said this morning, when God can transform a human heart, when he can turn us from a sinner into a saint, that's power and that's love. And aren't you glad that you're alive today and not before Jesus came? Aren't you glad that you're able to see these things that the people in the Old Testament couldn't see? You know, there's, there's verses that talk about that the angels long to look into these things that have been revealed to us. It's, it, it boggles my mind, if I can say it that way, how awesome our God is. He is trustworthy. He's loving. He cares. And he did all of these things and orchestrated all of these things so that he could redeem mankind. And then as it says, and I'll close with this, 
1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us, to us, to us through his Spirit. God has made his mystery, mysteries known to us. And in my opinion, the mystery of the gospel is the most important thing that he has made known to us. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important event in all of human history. 